3: Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, they called it fish tar. They called it Kevin's Gate. Opening this week's Clash pod is a film that even today is tarred with the brush of being a mega flop. But is it true? Does the film that once held the title of the most expensive movie ever made really deserve its laughable legacy of Kevin Costner playing a fishman in a soggy Mad Max wannabe? Well, answer that question and more, because from 1995, it's Waterworld!
0: The future. The polar ice caps have melted. And the earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in the 15 lunars? Such as an
2: end, an end to all this water. Asking the wrong person. Pure dirt. So what's the word? We
0: trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mythical place called dry land.
3: While in the blue corner, Challenging Waterworld this week is a movie in which the lead actor is not a fish, but he can talk to them. For so long, he was the superhero who was the halibut of every joke. However, in 2018, he proved that he could really hold his own and had a whale of a time making a fortune at the box jellyfish office. Because the highest grossing DC movie in history from 2018 is
4: Aquaman.
0: My father was a lighthouse keeper. My mother was a queen. But life... As a way of bringing people together,
1: we could unite our worlds one day. Check it out Arthur is talking to the fish. Oh,
0: Jimmy, go! Uh, they made me what I am.
2: <laughs> Permission to come aboard. been looking for you your half-brother king orm is about to declare war upon the surface world the only way to stop this war is for you to take your rightful place as king
1: trust me i'm no king
3: so what connects these two films and which one does it better let's find out it's clash of the titles release the kraken Clash Potters, well don't just stand there, kill something. I'm Alex Zane.
4: I'm Vicky Crompton.
3: I'm Chris Tilly. And a welcome to this week's fish fight as Waterworld goes up against Aquaman. Um, Just before we announce whose choices these were and find out a little bit about why we're doing it, I'll explain where we are this week. Victoria and I, for the first time in what feels like forever, are in the same room recording this episode of Clash of the Titles. It's great to see you, Victoria.
4: I don't think I can look at you because I'm so used to not seeing you. And it's actually given me, I feel like I've been a bit freer in myself since not having to look at you two. So I'm not going to look at you. Right.
3: And I'm I'm not looking at you. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not looking at me. That's, it's weird. Yeah, because I'm looking at you.
4: (laughs) I can feel it. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, Chris, however, is not with us. He is recording remotely. He will be joining us back in the studio next week. Uh, Chris, I I cannot wait to see you. This room is as hot as you remember, (laughs) so you might want to shave off that beautiful beard. (laughs) Yeah, I just
5: wanted one more week to be able to uh, do this show without any clothes on.
4: So don't don't let us stop you.
3: (laughs) It's a warm day. It's a warm
4: day. Right,
3: um, it is your choices this week, Victoria. Waterworld goes up against Aquaman. Tell us why.
4: Uh, My colleague, colleague, my boss, Chris Tilly, Mm. pointed out to me that Waterworld has a big anniversary (laughs) coming up or is up. Um, How many years is it, Chris? 25. 25 years. So I was cognizant of that and I thought, hey, let's talk about Waterworld. And Aquaman, that, that one did pass me by, uh, but I really like The Little Mermaid, so I thought <laughs> it would be a good a good fit. Um, and that's how we've ended up with these two films.
3: All right. Well, you gave us a clue, or rather you gave me a clue, and then I passed on the clue, because you'd already gone by the time we did the clue, if you listened to last week's episode. But the clue was The Life Aquatic. Uh, Chris added to this on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, and I always say this, you should. It's at ClashPod. Uh, there's loads of extras on there. Uh, so... On Twitter, you added another clue, Chris. What was that clue? Rumblefish. Rumblefish. I like it. The suggestions washed up. At ClashPod. Chris Kay and Anthony Peacock said Piranha versus the Meg. Uh, That's definitely going to be a future show. Dylan Berry and Kirsten Ellen Young go with The Shape of Water versus Splash. Another solid matchup there. While Lucy Cosmedia goes with 1964's The Incredible Mr. Limpet, an animated live action comedy about a man who turns into a talking fish and helps the US Navy locate and destroy Nazi submarines. Versus the 2000 Danish-German-Irish animated movie Help, I'm a Fish About children being turned into fish uh, I only bring that up uh, because it's noteworthy for the tagline You'll enjoy this, Victoria A potion put them in the ocean
4: <laughs> That's great, isn't it? It's really good
3: <laughs> Only one person got the right answer though Congratulations to John no H. One fish supper on us but not really. Uh, Chris, though, you do have an actual prize this week, don't you?
5: Yeah, I I accidentally have two copies of the Arrow Blu-ray of Waterworld, um, which is quite a good double edition. You've got the theatrical cut, you've got the Ulysses cut, which is a three-hour version of the film, which I chose not to watch for research this week <laughs> because life's too short. But it also has a fantastic documentary called Milestrom, uh, The Odyssey it. of Waterworld, you definitely, which it. is a recent... Um, documentary with most of the people involved looking back on exactly what went wrong and it's kind of warts and all so uh that's interesting lots of stuff from that we'll be talking about today but yeah so uh, to encourage some more reviews on itunes because we love them if people could leave us a few uh, a review uh we'll pick one next week and send that disc to you
4: just quick question do you remember when Chris tried to solicit people's aid by email? <laughs> Are you now trying to get people's home address? Have we got a GDPR conversation that we need to have? Uh, I also
3: like the fact that I don't think iTunes has been a thing for quite a while now. <laughs> Do you mean the podcast app, Apple Podcasts? I just want to direct people to the right place if they're going to compete for this wonderful sounding DVD. Exactly. exactly. Exactly what Alex said. Yeah. Great. Um, so uh, send Chris your address. Right. Uh, the connections <laughs> uh, this week. Shall we have a guess, Victoria? Yes, please. Um, Chris, have you got one? Uh, is it a half-breed double bill? Yeah.
5: Um, <laughs> our, hero, uh, uh, our hero in Waterworld is called a Mutor and our hero in Aquaman is called a Mongrel, but they are both yeah. considered half-breeds.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. I got one. Heroes who like being swallowed... The Humpback Whale in Aquaman and The Sea Eater in Waterworld. Yes. Any more, Chris? I don't know if there's something maybe we could get onto
5: as we go through the films, but are they they both films about bad mothers? (laughs) Oh,
4: what's that now? Um,
5: we we can we can get into that. I have questions about towards the end of Waterworld uh, that I would like to discuss. But um, so you're you're gonna have a I'll go have at put a, it out there a, now. A
3: child's dead mother um, <laughs> at the end of Waterworld. Yes, I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I've got one more, uh, which is uh, CGI hair. <laughs> so. Uh, I did a lot of research on this. Uh, a lot, a lot of computer megabytes went into making Aquaman's hair flow so seductively mm-hmm. underwater. And one of the rumors about Waterworld that was printed in Newsweek was that Kevin Costner famously wanted to spend a lot of money on CGI to make his hair thicker mm-hmm. in that movie. Uh, he denies this. Uh, the quote uh, that he responded to the Newsweek rumour was, I was so surprised that it came from Newsweek. No matter if they cite a source, it's just bullshit. And they're bullshit for printing it. Uh, it's Costner is reported to have shouted that at passers by on a bridge.
4: <laughs> I mean, my connection just is, it just is fishmen. And I know it's not true, but it is a funny thing to say. Just fishmen. <laughs>
3: Just fishmen? Yeah. <laughs> G- G- classic, uh, G- classic fish Just Gigi classic fishmen double bill? Just that
4: fishman trope. You yeah. know the one.
3: Yeah, I yeah, yeah, love a fishman. Right, um, you gave Chris Waterworld. You gave me Aquaman. We do it chronologically, as always. So Christopher Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, take us on a journey.
5: Well, before I do my intro, I was going to r- say a disclaimer, um, claiming that there's no such thing as a bad pun. But having heard your intro, Alex, I think there might be. <laughs> bo- bo- box office jellyfish.
3: It, <laughs> I, I Literally, that is only in there because Victoria is bloody petrified of the things. I, I didn't write that and go, hey. I'm
4: so, I'm so pleased. That's really thoughtful. I'm obsessed with box jellyfish. I know you are.
3: I know you are. As far as marine life goes, prior to this episode, they have had the most mentions of all
4: marine life on the show. They're very aggressive and very deadly. I don't know that they're aggressive. They are mm, Yeah, they might not be aggressive. I think, you. yeah, you might have to swim over one yeah. to piss it off. It,
3: well, no, you don't even piss it off. It's an accidental thing. Mm, they, you say that. Well, I'm not sure. I think they drift on the current, so it's completely chance. It's mm, by chance. that. And uh, then
4: they spike you. Right. They, yeah.
3: yeah, but they're not sort of actively going, you know... You're never going to see a movie with a point of view of a box jellyfish <laughs> heading upwards towards the Kitna boy. <laughs> you're just not. You're just not. I don't even know what the point of view of a jellyfish would look like because they don't have eyes. Just sort of. In fact, there's a great question. After you've sent Chris your address, uh, let us know. Uh, how does a box jellyfish see? Uh, what do <laughs> see, they So You're use? getting bogged down here. Don't posting addresses on that podcast app.
5: <laughs> That's not what we want to be telling people to do. I didn't um, right, Shall so I do my intro. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a good idea. Waterworld made waves and took cinema into uncharted waters back in 1995. The story is set in a future where the polar ice caps have floundered and Earth is almost entirely submerged underwater. Kevin Costner plays a mariner with gills and a mullet and something of a cod complex who ends up in the same place as a little girl who might hold the key to survival but a gang from the Mad Max movies want to flex their muscles, so crab the kid and knock Fish Face off his perch, the child then becoming a prawn in their game. And while the mariner is a reluctant hero at first, he searches his soul and ultimately decides to carp DM and protect the girl at all costs. <laughs>
3: You,
4: you're absolutely right in your assessment, Chris. There is
2: such
3: a thing as a bad pun.
4: That was brilliant. There were
3: two of mine in there. <laughs> I honestly think Box Jellyfish Office is is in there. That's a good one. That's at least as good as Carp Diem. Actually, no, that was very good.
4: <laughs> this place, this
1: whole way of living, it's ending.
2: Straight line leading directly, directly to dry land dry land is not just our
0: destination but it is our destiny Universal Pictures presents a world unlike any you have ever seen
5: So waterworld um. Speaking from personal experience, I can't really remember watching this. I don't think I saw it in the cinema, probably because of the bad press, which we will talk about. So I think this was a video watch and then forgotten. Any Either of you got any memories or?
4: It was quite a big deal in my house because m- my mum and dad were massive Kevin Costner fans. Like um, he was just, they were, yeah, the rugged Face of middle America was a big, a big draw for them, so it was a big deal. And I remember watching it, but I remember just being completely baffled by it. And I've never seen the U, the C's cut, so it didn't make any sense to me. It still doesn't make any sense to me.
3: Did a uh, question because uh, in, that's an interesting one. Did your parents who loved Kevin Costner? Mm like Kevin Costner in Waterworld playing a that's, fish.
4: That's such a good point because he's such an asshole <laughs> in this film. <laughs> mm. He's fucking awful, yeah. but I don't remember it being commented on. And I'd forgotten about it. It's just passed me by. And then when I watched it again in the week, it's like, he's such a twat.
3: Oh, yeah, he's awful. Really awful. He's awful, which kind of goes yeah. on to like my feeling about the movie, because this was a bit of a big deal. I remember a lot of the press about Waterworld and I remember that having the opposite effect of making me want to go and see it because mm. I was like, what well, is this? This is going to be this car crash movie. I remember really enjoying it. I remember thinking this is great, but I also found it strange that I really enjoyed it in the way I'd enjoy any action-adventure movie, except that whereas with most action-adventure, action heroes, you as like a teenage boy want to be them. Yeah. At no point did I want to be Kevin Costner in this. Like, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I wanted to be John McClane. At no point did I want to be the mariner. No. Because of his web feet.
4: He's not a nice man.
3: And that. <laughs> it, for me, it's the feet thing
4: oh yeah of course sorry it's all right right. i mean both
3: both of these movies uh, there's a lot of feet out (laughs) Um, i'll jump ahead then because on that documentary
5: which i'm about to talk about kevin reynolds does talk talk about the character of the mariner and he says uh, kevin reynolds obviously being the director he says he believes the harshness of the character came from what was going on in kevin costner's own life because he was going through a divorce and was angry with the world angry with women and it appears to be angry with women as well um so on to the film then so um it began as a low budget uh high concept idea by a a guy who'd made a couple of movies pete rader um and was a screenwriter and he uh, met with a man a producer who worked for roger corman and roger corman was well known for making low budget exploitation movies and this guy said i've got some money from south africa if you come up with a good mad max ripoff we'll make it and, and that is because uh, Mad Max ripoffs were all the rage in the mid 80s because the set dressing could be garbage. You could dress your characters in rags and you could shoot in barren landscape. So it was actually quite cheap to do.
3: Also, uh, he's got a great name for actually being in the movie, isn't he? This is the Deacon. Uh, this is the Mariner. And this is Pete Raider. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
5: but Raider decided I want to do it on water. And the producer said, no way, Jose, that would cost $5 million. There's no way we can do that. Uh, but Pete went away and wrote it anyway. <laughs> Did you say he, um, he said,
3: no way, Jose? <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, not literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just bringing <laughs> I'm a bit explaining. of colour to proceedings.
3: <laughs> it was beautiful. It, <laughs> it added some uh, some real emotion to them. But no, hey, no way, Jose, <laughs> you're walking in here. That's way over the budget we talked about, you big clown, Jose. <laughs> uh he so
5: he went away and wrote the script anyway um he said what he originally wrote had much more religious religious and mythic dimensions to it um that's what kevin costner read liked and decided he wanted to make and so uh the producers then decided that with kevin that the other kevin should direct it so kevin costner and kevin reynolds have been discussed previously on this podcast we did them on the robin hood episode and Alex, I think it was you who talked about the fact that they, they fell out on that production.
3: Yeah, this is a weird one, isn't it? Because they, they fell out on that production. And then the producers go, you know who we should get? Yeah, The guy he really fell out with. Um, I mean, sympathy is going to be in short supply when things start going tits up later on because they sort of knew this. And they weren't speaking at this point. It's not like, yeah, there was Robin Hood, but they made up. <clears throat> at the point that they went, let's get Kevin Reynolds in. They were still... The Kevins weren't speaking, so they had to sit them down, didn't they? Yeah, they organised
5: a clear-the-air meeting on the set of The Bodyguard, which Costner was shooting at the time. So Reynolds flew into that shoot. They had clear-the-air talks, uh, decided they wanted to work together again. That would have been their third film because um, when they were young men, they also made Fandango, uh, one of their first films for both of those actors, uh, director and actor. So... They decided they would push ahead. David Toy was brought on board to rewrite the script. They decided to shoot it in Hawaii. They started building sets and they quickly realized that this was going to be a problematic shoot. Um, Of course, the the head of MCA said Scheinberg should have known this because he uh, produced Jaws, which we recently talked about Mm. as well um uh and uh, i'll just do a little bit of background on the shoot but we'll get into the problems as we go through it but um they had to build these huge flotillas um with a a makeup boat a catering boat a camera boat a, a dress boat uh and because they kept having to turn around to get clear horizons on all sides of of the boat or wherever they were shooting they got very few setups a day the sea was moving the boat was moving everyone was getting seasick they had wind and rain and big swells um and so it was a bit of a mess. Sid Sheinberg visited the set and he, the quote he gave to press was, this has the potential to be bigger than Jaws. Um,
3: you yeah, haven't mentioned Vicky's uh, living nightmare, if Vicky had been on that set, because um, the young actress, uh, Tina Majorino, who plays Enola, the girl mm-hmm. with a map on her back, mm-hmm. uh, she was repeatedly stung by jellyfish. Was she? Yeah. Not box jellyfish. <laughs> we well, should be dead. Yeah, because yeah. they kill you. Yeah. They kill you because they they actively hunt you. They seek out humans, <laughs> and they they'd have seen Especially her. Little girls. yeah, she's yeah. easy prey, yeah. and they'd have gone straight for her yeah, using bastards, using bastard, their bastards that whatever you're going to write in and tell his jellyfish use to <laughs> yeah. seek out young children. Yeah, but she um, she got stung so often that uh, Kevin Costner gave her the nickname Jellyfish Candy.
4: <laughs> oh. <laughs> is that true? That's <laughs> ridiculous.
3: Jellyfish candy. I don't know if he said it like that. Hey, come over here, jellyfish candy.
4: I <laughs> just, just doubles down on asshole. He's just yeah. a little girl. He's
3: method. Come on, he's not going to break character. He is the Marana. <laughs> uh,
5: and uh, the only other thing I want to say really before we get into the film is that the press got wind of these problems and. They started writing negative stories. The producers decided that they would not allow them onto the set to cover the film, which was probably counterproductive because that just meant more negative stories were written. Uh, They started making stuff up. I think it's pretty clear from this documentary that there was a lot of made up stuff in the press, including the stuff about Costner's hair. Um, It's Mm. clearly not true if you watch the film. There's no CGI hair on his head at any point. Um, he's just got a weirdly thinning mullet going on there, uh. But they believe that the press you wanted say like it it's to a fail. Bad thing.
3: I love it. I think his hair's great in this. I really like it. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's great. I think it says. It says to me, you know, moves fast in water
4: because <laughs> there's not much of it. Exactly, <laughs> it's slowing down. I mean,
3: it's. I, I'm assuming it's an evolutionary thing. You know, you get the gills, you get the web feet, your hair falls out, <laughs> like so you look like a dolphin. <laughs> pink dolphin that was i think that if i'm right in thinking i don't know if you've got that note chris originally the character was called the pink dolphin (laughs) (laughs)
4: uh,
3: by the way do you know who the invisible walrus is alex uh (laughs) you know i so desperately want to but no please tell me who is the invisible walrus
5: because our shared, I shared clash of the titles document that I gave you access to for the millionth time yesterday, uh, suddenly
1: this
4: <laughs> uh, <it'll keep, laughs> fucking document—is this the document that until about a week ago no one could edit apart from you? But it's a shared <laughs> document apparently, and you're like, no, no, I've set up the permissions. No, you haven't. Is the it know, that one? The
3: read-only document.
5: Yeah, that one. Yep. <laughs> The yeah the immediately a little pink invisible walrus appeared at the top of the page with powers to edit it and I just didn't understand what was happening and I wondered if that was you. What? How long have you been on your own, Chris? so you're not you don't go by that name anywhere no
3: it's, okay. wait it's, has an invisible warus i mean this is an important question we need to answer has an invisible warus got access to our uh, very private document <laughs> i don't
5: know i decided i didn't really care um but equally yeah good i just need an answer to answer that question should we talk about the film
3: uh, yeah the only thing i'd add uh, i'm sure you're probably going to mention it was uh, i i like the fact that um all A lot of the uh, to-do between the two Kevins was uh, about this character of um the Mariner, and Kevin Costner was really into this character and he wanted to get the character right and he, he wasn't interested in the action so much as this story of this guy and who this guy was, and he apparently took the script away. There's a disagreement. I, Kevin Costner says, I only took the script away when there were problems with the script. Kevin Reynolds says, no, he had it ages before and started fiddling with it, but the person he had fiddling with it and on call, and I believe on set was Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon doing immediate rewrites as and really? when for uh, Kevin Costner personally for the character of the Mariner. You uh, been, yeah, uh, you uh, most, you've had a few more of, one-liners
5: <laughs> No, most of what Whedon wrote ended up um, the Deacon uh, said those words. Actually, well, that makes uh, more sense. Yeah, I'll come to that stuff towards the end because I've got some direct quotes from Whedon which are pretty hardcore. Yeah. But... um. Let's talk about the film. I'm kicking off with the first section of the film, which I'm calling Piss Party. Oh,
4: I thought you were going to say Piss Uh, Limes. I've got Piss Limes. That's so (laughs) annoying. Piss Limes. Piss (laughs) Limes.
5: Okay. It's a Piss Party featuring Piss Limes. Uh, The the film does that thing that I feel like we all love, where the Universal logo becomes part of the movie. It's so good.
3: Yeah. It's (laughs) so good. I mean, Aquaman's is pretty good when we get into that, because I like the Warner Brothers symbol. I remember seeing The Matrix for the first time when it goes green. I was like, oh. yeah. <laughs> but this this is this is the best. I think this is probably up there with one of the, the very best.
5: Uh, but uh, the, we get voiceover trailer man telling us the future. The polar ice caps have melted, covering the earth with water. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. And that's per- that's all the explanation and backstory really given. Uh, Aqu- we meet- Aquaman, uh- take
3: note. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the exposition you you really need. And I'd argue, even that's too much. I'm like, I'm watching the map. The polar ice caps are decreasing. The planet's covered in water. I got it. I don't need the guy going. The polar ice caps are melting. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> We've then got fish fas-
5: fish face having filtration fun. Um which is this is the first scene in the movie, is the first scene that Pete Rader uh, wrote, which is Kevin Costner taking a piss, then drinking the piss, then gargling with the piss, then spitting the piss in a pot plant, mm-hmm. which
3: is a bold way to introduce your hero, but one that I like. Yeah, two different versions, though, aren't there, of that exact scene because of just how bold it was. On um, One version, you actually see the stream of... P going into the plastic cup, which is the version I watched, um, which was on Amazon. But there is another version where they removed the P because it was considered too much.
4: So he just stood there.
3: He's just, I think you just sort of you're assuming that he's just finished and zipping up, oh. and the the liquid is already
4: We're just getting a breeze going. I suppose.
3: Well, I mean, you're at sea a lot, and you're on your own.
4: You're completely on your own. I think, but I think
3: what <laughs> that,
5: to be fair to the film, Alex, I think what that is 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 from the TV version of Aquaman. Which water is where well. they pulled some of the U- water well, Sorry, which is where they pulled uh, footage for the Ulysses cut. So that was just some um, um, TV station doing that. The film didn't actually uh, pull back in that way. But we meet uh, the mariner living on his trimaran uh, with all contraptions and mod cons. Um, he's harnessing the power of water and wind on there. There's some complicated counterweight system. Um, Costner at the time said it it was like Swiss family Robinson on a boat. Um and he's kind of Why you
4: it's immediately why did he say that? It's by himself.
3: Yeah. Uh because of, complicated
5: complicated <laughs> because of the complicated counterweight <laughs> because of the complicated counterweight system I just described.
3: It's like uh it's like modern family. It's just on a boat.
4: <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like she is it's just on a <laughs> boat <laughs> alright sorry we'll
3: stop you know what it's like uh, let me tell you about my new movie Waterworld are uh, you recording? great Kevin here um, it's like 101 Dalmatians
4: <laughs> just on a boat <laughs> is it like Mad Max? no it's not that good ok let's go
3: <laughs> I don't know where you got that from Mad Max ridiculous no
4: sorry, Snow Chris. White on
3: a boat
1: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's just, it's
3: just... Shut up, Kevin. Kevin! <laughs> Stop doing your own so thing. Emma-
5: don't you think he immediately seems like man with no name? With, with, he's a cowboy, but on the sea, yeah. acting like Clint Eastwood does in those movies. That's basically what they've written.
4: Yeah, and I feel bad for... Uh, I don't like what this character gets up to, and I don't like the fact that he is, he is a, he's not very nice, especially to Gene Triplehorn and the girl, but then because they don't get much in the way of character, it's really unbalanced, but I understand the man with no name trope and I understand that he's a loner and he would find emotional connection difficult but he it's and this is not this is my blind spot, but it's because it's Kevin Costner and I want him to be nice and I want him to be a hero and save people and I understand he wanted to go against type, but it's really difficult when he's that nasty to just accept it. If it was Tom Hardy, you'd be you'd be there yes.
3: I don't know. I don't know. Anyone could pull it off. I really don't. I just, I don't, I don't think, I think, I think it's too far one way. Mm -hmm. I do agree with you. He's a real struggle uh, as a character for me because he's not, he's a grouch, but he's not really funny with it. And I think the bits where he is funny with it are the best bits, like where it's almost, it's almost comical how nasty he is. Like when he throws um, the little girl into the sea.
4: Because she can't swim. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's great because it's like, wow, it's so far. But the most, most of the time, he's just a bit of a grumbler, a bit of a, like... like uh,
4: yeah, a really angry pimp.
3: Get off my crayons. <laughs> yeah,
4: what have you got crayons? <laughs> anyway.
5: <laughs> I don't know if maybe we need to learn a bit more about his history or the mythology of his character as the film goes on to appreciate where he comes from a bit more. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the film makes the decision not to give us any of that and I think that could have helped... Yeah. Or, or maybe it's just Costner isn't good in this type of situation. Whereas maybe if you compared it to Man on Fire and Denzel Washington,
3: he's mm. he's better
5: at this kind of character,
3: it's, isn't it? I think it's also because you walk into this going cool, like a high seas post-apocalyptic action adventure movie, and at times he just feels like he's in a different film, like he's in a a, 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 a much smaller more introspective character study of this man, mm. which also has Dennis Hopper.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
5: and then we're going to get into section two, which I like to call the Atoll, uh, which is the centrepiece of the movie. And it comes pretty soon in the runtime, about 20 minutes in, I would say, of a two and a half hour film. Um, but this is a gated outpost on the water, a floating community, Um that they spent a lot of the budget on it had the circumference of a football field they used millions a million tons of steel to build it um and they moved it around like a boat they were actually worried it would sink when they were shooting it took 300 workers to build it 3 months and on the first day they shot this scene where um the trimaran enters the atoll and the cables broke they couldn't tow the boat they had to reset it which took the whole day and that was the first sign there was trouble that 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 this shoot was going to be problematic.
3: It's constantly money well spent, though. That the the atoll is brilliant. Like as a sept, that shot from above when the smokers arrive and are encircling mm. it. Like the the whole thing. It was honestly, it's it's it actually is. It's a, a a word that's overused, but it's epic in scale and in every way. It's perfect. I love that atoll. I want an atoll. <laughs> <laughs> uh and so um the
5: mariner's there to trade soil because soil is now pure dirt has become extremely valuable um uh we learn that there's a child on the atoll who's got a tattoo on her
3: back that might lead the way to dry land yeah but we also learn and about then the organo pit um, which uh, is what that pit that they recycle their dead in is called, and it's little touches like that that make this really good. Like you, it's a functioning society that yeah. has to recycle dead bodies, so some thought has gone into this world building exercise.
4: Yeah,
5: uh, uh, Mariner becomes imprisoned there um, because they realise he's a mutant, uh, and then as no, Alex said, well,
3: they 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 want to kill him because he won't have sex with a girl. That's pretty oh, much yeah. how it works out. It's uh, a strange one. Have sex with her. I won't kill him. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, for, for for
5: for a summer blockbuster, there's a lot of women's bodies being traded in in this film. Um, it's the future which Chris. doesn't really sit right. It's the past. <laughs> it's both. Time is cyclical. <laughs> So as Alex says, the Smokers, who are the villains of the piece, um, led by the Deacon, played by Dennis Hopper, they attack. Uh, we've got Bald Hopper smoking a cigarette atop his throne with some flag boys on the side, which is straight out of Mad Max. Mm. Um, and it's an interesting time for Dennis Hopper as well. He's just come off Speed and Super Mario Brothers. So this is his third um, over-the-top villain in a row. And I think his shtick's getting old a little bit by this point. I don't know what you guys I think. I think he
4: could have been given, I know he gets some good lines later on, but the first line, unless I've got this wrong, the very first line that comes out of his mouth when the smokers are taking the atoll is he says, we'll have this atoll in no time, mm. which to me sounds like admin. It's not like the cool line <laughs> yeah. that you should give that man. He's got another
3: good line. He's got uh, bring me the keys to the city, yeah. which is kind of good, but. I'd argue that, and I didn't notice it the first time I watched this or only the second time, this is the third time I've watched Waterworld and there is a really good bit of dialogue that gets drowned out by the gunfire. Right. So you remember when there's the gun barge and it's got the guy who looks like a pig yeah. firing the guns yeah. at the atoll and they even put a pig sound effect over him at one point, an excited pig to make yeah. him even more pig-like, and he's, <laughs> and he's shooting the guns. As they start to drag the barge... When Kevin Costner's escaped and he's attached a trimaran to it and they're dragging the barge so it's facing the deacon's boat. Yeah. And they're sort of trying to wave off the guy to tell Mm -hmm. him to stop shooting. So they go in, they go, that's my cousin Chuck. And they all start shouting, Chuck, stop, Chuck. And Kevin and Dennis Hopper goes, maybe he doesn't respond to Chuck. Maybe he doesn't like it as a name. Charles, Charles, (laughs) stop. And I was like, never noticed that before. That's a great line. (laughs) But are we are we veering into what I
5: talked about on the Commando episode that when I I said I'd interview Stephen D'Souza and we were talking about Hudson Hawk on that interview, but it was we, he was talking about the fact that you shouldn't make your villains too funny and no longer be, to the point that they no longer become a threat.
4: That's a good.
5: And point, I feel yeah. that this I feel like this goes into that area where he's just not a very frightening uh, villain because yeah. he's, he's 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 a bit silly. Shop.
3: I thought that. And then I thought, but without him, because Costner's so dour, you'd be looking at quite a, a sort of oppressive movie. And I think you know, it it, it has to do that balancing act because you're right; he's not yeah. threatening at all. But also, without him, like being so like upbeat and like, hey, here I am, the deacon. Then you'd have like a very one-note kind of like, oh, this is dark, and Kevin's in a mood, and this guy's like scary. So you don't have the light. No, agreed. But it, it does
5: bring levity to proceedings. But then we have this spectacular battle. Uh they fire on the outpost. Um, there are jet skiers submerged underwater, which was a crazy, dangerous stunt they had to do. Those guys were really down there uh, with scuba gear and then popping up to to fly towards the uh, the atoll. There's a plane um, it,
3: dragging water skiers. It's brilliant. <laughs> an actual plane, like an actual water skiers. Are we, we we I mean, you know, we've got Aquaman coming on Thursday. We have to talk about the fact that they did this. These are practical stunts that were done. And if anyone's ever been to Universal Studios Hollywood and seen Waterworld, a Sea War spectacular, you'll know... How incredible it is to watch those stunts, even on a smaller scale, at Universal Studios Hollywood, our new sponsor. To see it up close
4: <laughs> is <I> fucking wish. <laughs> brilliant. Have
3: you ever been? No.
4: It's so good. I would love to go.
3: It's so good. I mean, if like you know, people joke about the uh, the, the the flop that Waterworld actually wasn't, but people say it was this mega flop. The one thing that came from Waterworld is a, a theme park attraction that is still running today and has been adapted and improved. And the reason I mention the play now is because when you're watching it, and you sit in the splash seat, which is when you get wet. Oh hang a, on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Trust me, you know me, and you know how much I hate immersive experiences yeah. where I'm supposed to interact. Yeah, fun. I, I yeah. sat yeah, I don't like that. I, yeah. I just want to sit there passively, like, like I'm watching a movie, but it's just, I can touch it. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Like you sit in the special, and people dressed like they're on the atoll are walking around, going, "I'm gonna get you wet," and you're like, "Yeah, Yay! you are." <laughs> but a plane <laughs> smashes out of a building and lands in front of you in this big pool. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, yeah, if you if you haven't been Universal Studios Hollywood, our sponsor, uh, I'd recommend it. <laughs>
5: I um, I'll show my age now. I saw that show when it had a different name. It it it, it before that it was called the Miami Vice Action Spectacular, <laughs> ah, and that's the version that? I've seen.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it replaced because that was yep. not pulling in the crowds. <laughs> and of all the rides at Universal Studios Hollywood, the. <laughs> Waterworld one got the best reception ever when it was opened and then they updated the Hollywood one, taking cues from their versions in Japan and Singapore. Our goal was to make all the fights look real so the audience cannot see a miss anywhere. The jet ski chasers became faster. Scenes were rearranged so the mariner never disappears from view. A new high fall was added and a fight between one of Deacon's lackeys and Helen who's evolved from the movie's damsel in distress to a thrilling action heroine.
4: Thank God. Yeah.
5: And on that bombshell, we're going to take a break. But we will be back with a section called Dances with Waves.
2: (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood f-
5: Jack Mate's Happy Hour is back for a brand new season. It's the podcast where we talk to some of the most exciting people in the world, from Ricky Gervais. In some ways, fame makes you a better person. You know, it's like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God's watching me. But I, I know someone with everyone else does. <laughs> <is. laughs>
3: <laughs> to undercover police officers. Can you see the fading scar there, gentlemen? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's where I was stabbed in the neck by a drug dealer once. Or... We just talk about whatever's
5: making us laugh right now. When you think back to school kid banter, like, it's well funny because of how immature it is. We <laughs> yeah. had this teacher called Mr. McGibbon and he had this big cushion that he was teaching us how to rugby tackle on. He just ran up to it, rugby tackled it, but landed on top of it. And one of the kids shouted, it's not your wife, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Jack Mate's Happy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods.
2: Jack Happy Hour is a Stokano production
5: and we're back Uh, so as I said Dance with Waves we're going to talk about now so this is kind of the middle section of the movie where it's Mariner and Helen and the little girl who's called Enola um, sailing around getting to know each other getting
4: to know each other hang on (laughs) hang on Rewind like, You could
5: have a montage. You could have a montage <laughs> of getting to know you, the song, <laughs> yeah. while, while the mariner hits Helen, throws another off the boat trying to kill her. Cut her um, fucking
4: hair off. Like, what? Yeah. Cut
3: her hair
5: Isn't
4: off.
3: Isn't it weird how uncomfortable that is, is really, it? It's really,
4: really bad. It's... And he does it to a little girl as well. Yeah. It's not good. But yeah. the the whole, this, this thread, if it is even that, has a payoff, but neither of this is good. So... When they initially are on the boat, he, I thought he's joking. He's like, I'm going to kill the child. And she, and initially I was like, of course you're not going to do that because there's a little girl. And so then Jean Tripland was like, oh, shit. And then she's like, go below. And it's like, oh, here we go. And he lets her strip. He cops a feel and then goes, no, nah, you're all right. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Like, Yeah,
3: yeah but, there is, like, <laughs> but she does bring that up later when she finally gives in to his... I want to say charms, <laughs> and the boat is wrecked and they make love yes. on, on the wrecked boat. And that is the, the, just before that, prior to the, 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 the lovemaking, the interspecies lovemaking, uh, he does, she does say, you didn't want me when I offered you on the no, boat. that's not the point. And he says... in. I genuinely think affecting a little boy voice goes, oh. you, you didn't really want me.
4: Fucking hell. Kevin. Not really. Like, what does this man want? She offered herself, so you didn't kill a child. Mm. Or her daughter, <laughs> kind of. And what, her heart's not in it. Do you know what I mean? So what? you're like, no, I don't want to. But now I do. Now the hair cutting off thing is forgiven somehow. Now I'll shag you. Yeah. No.
3: Do you want to mention now or later the child sex trafficking scene?
4: Oh, with them? Um... I I...
3: What? Go on. Chris, I'll leave it to you. You, you, you can call it because it seems like the right thing to do. This is this is your movie. You tell us when we talk about <laughs> sex traffics a, a woman and child
4: for some fucking pig. Okay.
3: Right. But yeah, I mean, we're going to do it now if you don't stop. But Chris,
5: I feel like I feel like you're doing it, Alex. No, so just do it.
3: All right. No, you're right. He's sex tra- up. <laughs> so. So Kim Coates turns up as the guy who hasn't drunk water in ages and is loopy as fuck, and he's great. He's brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Is he? Yeah, he's what, brilliant. So
5: he's he, his character is called Drifter, and i I wrote down about I wrote down three different potential nationalities for this character.
4: <laughs> what what, accent, what accent was he doing? <laughs> Scot- was it Belfast? I think he's supposed to be Northern Irish, isn't he?
5: Yeah, that was the first one I wrote, but then he became very Scottish.
4: Yeah. Well, that's
3: an American-Canadian actor, <laughs> Kim Goats, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, showing his range, <laughs> if nothing else. Showing his range. But he comes on and he goes, oh, I've got this, I'm not even going to try and affect the accent because I don't know what it is, but he's got this paper in a tube and Kevin is uh, really wants this paper. And so he gives him... A half an hour with Gene Triplett. 45, Forty-five minutes. Forty-five with, minutes. Forty-five yeah, minutes. Right. Forty-five minutes, and then the, he offers the the child as well. Um... And uh, it's it's quite disturbing, and you sort of go, oh, he really wants this paper, and then he realizes he looks at the paper, mm. so he sort of checks the produce, mm-hmm. uh, the product, and goes, this this isn't good paper, <laughs> this this is not what I'd hope. This is bad paper from this paper, and so he, he he goes back and he rescinds on the 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 deal, yeah, which first of all is terrible for his character because his character is set up the one thing he doesn't break is the code
4: yes and then
3: he breaks it yeah because he doesn't like what he's been given not yeah. because he's worried about the women mm-hmm. because he doesn't like this paper the worst part is at the end he opens a lockbox full of paper <laughs> Like, when he's pulling out the National (laughs) Geographic, he's got an excess of paper. I thought this was the first paper he'd seen and you could kind of forgive it. He's got too much paper. This is all wrong.
4: Yeah, it's wrong. It doesn't... From any point of view, and maybe something was cut, but it can't work as a scene because who's the hero in that scene? So when he walks into Kim Coyles' boat and he's about to... Uh, Shag Helen, he's like, I changed my mind. It's like, oh, do you want a fucking medal, big man? Like, oh, you've changed your mind, so you're the hero. But of course you're not, because you just offered her up for a bit of paper. So who's the... And I think the only reason they make... Well, maybe not, but one of the reasons maybe to make Kim Coates initially say, he says, I want 45 minutes with the wee one, Mm. is if you paint him as a pedo, then in the battle of who's the most of a shit in this scene, Mm. Kim Colts nudges it, because he's a pedo. But Kevin Costner just, like sold his women
3: you just feel that they needed that whole scene needed to be played differently whereby because kevin keeps Mm. banging on about resin in that scene what even
4: is resin? exactly
3: it hasn't been mentioned enough beforehand so he's like have you got any resin it's like no one has any resin it's like (laughs) where are you from Uh, somewhere with no resin. Okay. And <laughs> there's no... Re- you, what you needed to do was him to use Gene Triplehorn as a distraction so he could nip onto his boat and find his bloody resin yeah. and then pop back and then come back in, just as the guy was about to do it, and go and yeah. make some joke about coming quickly back or oh. something. Whatever it is, a, a little one line, and then, whoa, it was all a plan that he had. Yep. But it wasn't but a plan. it's not a plan. He just didn't like his paper. <laughs> uh he then um there's a nice
5: reversal i think where you think the drifters killed the mariner but really the mariner's killed the drifter but then i think they spoil it by two minutes later having the same reversal where you think a sea monster has killed the mariner and then the mariner's killed the sea monster so yeah uh don't do that twice that was a the the one the one big bit of cg in this film was that sea monster um That was something that Reynolds begged the studio for additional money to do. He said they didn't give him enough money and he's not happy with how it looks, but I think it looks fine.
3: Mm. It's only for a split second. That was the one scene that I remembered um, pressing play, like distinctly remembered from the first time I watched this movie Mm. was um, the C-Eater scene because I think it's great. Yeah.
5: And then uh, before we go into the next session, we finally got uh, a proper bit of bonding between Enola and the Mariner when they go swimming for what seems like half an hour in slow motion. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but... to, to show him bonding with her, and that is supposedly when he's supposed to have the CG hair. I rewatched the scene this morning; <laughs> it's all his own hair. I mean, but... we've got CG. We're going to talk about an Aquaman. It's hard to do CG on heads and faces. Yeah, and this was twenty five years ago. It's not CG on his head, so that was that's just a lie.
3: Yeah. There's the bit where Jean Tribblon wakes up and sees them Mm. in the sea and she goes, what about the monsters? Because we've just had the monster, which is a really effective scene and paints the sea as potentially a deadly place full of monsters Mm -hmm. that might eat you. And she goes, what about the monsters? And he goes, don't worry, they're all asleep now. Which, for me, really undermined the threat of these monsters because you just imagine these things sort of curled up (laughs) on the bottom of the ocean going... Mm, Not now. (laughs) We sleep at this point. (laughs)
5: Uh, And then we're into the next section. This is a brief section I'm calling The Truth, uh, which is where we get a sequence where the mariner takes Helen down to the bottom of the ocean uh, for the big twist. Uh, Our cities are submerged, which is a huge reveal for her. But not a huge reveal for us, the audience, because we know this, uh, which is, I think, a shame. I think they could have done something smarter with this. I don't know whether they should have gone the, the, the Planet of the Apes route where, you know, you're made to think Waterworld is, a, is an alien planet until this scene happens. And then we realize that it was it was us.
4: Yeah. Maybe. Um, Quick question. The AirPod that he takes Helen down to the city in, is that just for guests? Because he can breathe, so why does he need an <laughs> airport? <laughs> Is he like, I am lonely, but I've got all this stuff just waiting for guests.
3: <laughs> Kim Cubs, uh, <laughs> if,
4: if I take you down in
0: my <laughs> airport,
3: can I get some of that precious resin? And <laughs> um, um, It's a weird one, isn't and it, and, and this, whole, this whole thing? Because when uh, Jean Triplehorn comes back to the surface, she's like, I had no idea. And I was like, oh, I thought you knew. <laughs> I thought everyone knew that this this used to be Planet Earth. Yeah, and like, but you—it's—it's it's a very confused idea because you think people are like, right? We knew there's probably some dry land left somewhere yep. after the Earth flooded. Yeah, but they're not. They're so far in the future that they've forgotten that like for them the world never had dry land. Like the continents never existed. And I think it's really convoluted and it's a bit confused.
5: Yep, I agree. And I think it's they missed an opportunity to have her head explode from the pressure of going all the way down there. That
4: would have been brilliant. (laughs) I made this airport just for guests and it's killed my only guest.
5: (laughs) Um, Those are supposed to be the streets of Denver down there. And Alex, you will like this. Uh, They created a miniature orca from Jaws that is down there on that seabed. What? Yep, I got photographs of it, which I will post on our Twitter Mm -hmm. uh, and I will send to you because I know you'll like that. Thanks very much. Uh, and then we are into the climax because Enola gets kidnapped. Uh, the deacon has her and it's down to uh, the mariner to rescue her. So these scenes where the deacons with Enola are offering her cigarettes and coloured pens and then they're basically threatening to cut off her back. Uh, this is some of the stuff that Joss Whedon was brought in to do. The film had a first and a second act, but they hadn't agreed upon the third act and everyone had different ideas of where it should go. So this is what Joss Whedon had to say a few years later he said "Waterworld was a good idea and the script was the classic they have a good idea then they write a generic script and don't really care about the idea when i was brought in there was no water in the last 40 pages of the script it all took place on land and i'm like isn't the cool thing about this guy that he has gills and no one was listening i was there basically taking notes from costner who was very nice fine to work with but he was not a writer i was supposed to be there for a week and i was there for seven weeks and i accomplished nothing (laughs) i wrote a few puns and a few scenes that i can't even sit through because they came out so bad Wow, so
3: I actually quite like the uh, I quite like the final act on the Exxon Valdez. I think that's um, that's a nice touch. Yeah, I don't know how um, Captain Joe Hazelwood feels about his picture being used in the movie. I wonder if they had to run that by him. Oh, you know, is that who that is—that's the actual captain is of it? the Exxon Valdez who oh. was accused, but I think later cleared yeah. of being inebriated yeah. when the tanker ran, ran aground.
5: Yeah. And if, if you don't, if you don't know that, that, that's the, it's a tanker that ran aground and spilled 750,000 barrels of oil in 1989. Um, and, and so this was quite a weirdly political decision for them to use that boat at the end of this summer blockbuster. And it was so controversial that they only put the name on the stern mm. on the day they shot that scene of the boat going down, uh, it's weird it kind of I felt like it weirdly took me out of the movie yeah I loved um, it I, I liked
4: it I thought it was a and nice it's little clever. and also if we you know if the polar ice caps have melted I know that in the 90s everyone was more obsessed with uh, ozone layer than climate change but if we're going to have a theme and the ice caps have melted then it's absolutely fine to bring in a massive oil tanker I think
5: Uh, This this set of the tanker is where they built on a parking lot and they surrounded it with green screens. And this is where they spent all their CG money, not on that sea monster, but it was creating the digital water um, around the tanker. And you can tell from that documentary that they're annoyed that Titanic got all the plaudits for the CG water that they created because these guys did it a couple of years uh, before them. But um, yes. Yeah, so we get the big rescue scene. The mariner shows up to save the day. Um, not because he wants to find the map leading to dry land, but because he wants to save his friend.
3: She's my friend. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: um, there's some stuff. There's a there's some flying in the sky. There's some bungee action going on. Um, there is what else is happening here? You've got uh, Costner on a zip line, which was. They make a big deal of the fact that he did that stunt himself.
3: Yeah, and the zipliner is uh, very prominent at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood in the Water World was Spectacular. <laughs> um, and
5: so they retrieve Enola and they find dry land. Um, they also find the skeletons of her parents uh, and a music box. So right, we know we where go. the music that's
3: is, is <laughs> no, been so whistling. I've been waiting this entire episode to hear what you've got to say about Enola's dead mum. <laughs> Alright, so what so so
5: the kind of twist is that Enola's uh is from dry land. She was born on dry land, and her parents set her in the ocean in a in a, in a little wicker basket, I guess, like Moses. Is that the is that what we're led to believe here?
4: I don't no, it's never I mean, first of all, she can't swim, but she grew up by by the sea, at least. Mm. So that is an oversight on the part of her parents. But I don't feel like it was ever explained why they led down to die together and their daughter was alive and was presumably rescued by someone. Because if she's so young she can't remember it, she would have been a toddler or a baby. Right. And
3: I couldn't remember, because I have the same problem with this. Does Jean Triplehorn at any point remind us how she met Enola? How she Because she I know she says at one point, I'm not her mother, Yeah, but she doesn't say, but I found her nope.
4: drifting she on the She says, I <laughs> thought she was interested or something weird, which is why I've now adopted her.
5: Yeah, I guess my question is, what did they die of? Because I doubt it was old age if they... Because of had the her age, right. 10 years pre- if they had her 10 years previous, they're yeah. not going to be that old. It's just, I don't know, this this needs more explanation. Yeah. Um, if they died of starvation, why didn't they eat those horses? <laughs> Haven't <laughs> they got because fish everywhere? Eat her?
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get machine Shane Nola. ending.
4: No, <laughs> <Nola>, go below.
3: <laughs> Come over here, Nola.
5: <laughs> Grab her. <laughs> Uh, and then we get the Shane ending um, because the, the 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 hero, a few words, uh, decides he's got land sickness, he can't stay um, and he has to leave them to go back out of the ocean. Uh, it's quite sweet, I think, but equally, I've seen that ending before in the film Shane and it was done better. And weirdly, have you seen the deleted scene from uh, this finale, this climax?
3: I have. I actually uh, prefer it.
5: Yes, it's fantastic. Do you, want to, do you want to describe it, Alex? This is the
3: one where the meeting between Jean Triplehorn and the mariner on the beach is much longer, and she gives him a gift, and she gives him the gift of the name Ulysses, which actually, it sounds like, um, all right, but it's really nice, and they sort of part on much nicer terms, and he says to her, if I find any more of your kind while I'm back at sea, I'm going to send them this way. I'm going to send them back to dry land. And then he sails off, and Enola and him go to the top of that mountain and watch them <laughs> sail off into the distance. And the wonderful bit is that they see on the ground a plaque which says they are at the summit of Mount Everest.
4: Yes, miles away great. from Denver. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Here I got- in this spot... In 1953, Hillary and Norgay's first set foot on the summit of Mount Everest. So, Kevin Reynolds, this is what he directed. This is what he thought was in the film. Um, he said, "He said this was our Planet of the Apes moment," and he said, I've, "I've to this day,
3: I've got no idea why they took that out, and nor do I. It's a really, really weird decision, I guess, because there's a lot going on in that moment, and it does interrupt. Because uh, I watched the film, and then I watched the the the, the scene with the um, plaque reveal." And it does, it changes the beat somewhat because you've got this them looking longingly as the Mariner heads back out to sea, a very sort of calm like, ending. And then in the middle of that, they sort of go, what's that on the ground? Oh, flipping it, there's a plaque there. Oh, look at that. And it does interrupt the Mariner's payoff. And as I said earlier, Kevin was a big fan of the Mariner. So I think he probably went, no, 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 no. no! <laughs> uh, Everest is a big mountain. That is going to detract <laughs> from my moment. <laughs> Um, So uh, that is the end of the film. I just want to talk
5: a bit about the fallout from the film. Um, Certainly there were some issues with how it was marketed. Um, They released a teaser trailer when they didn't have much footage, which got bad press. Um, and the reason they wanted to release it is because they wanted it to be attached to the movie Street Fighter. They had such oh. high expectations for
3: that. End <laughs> <in> of the show. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a problem in the edit for this film. So, um, Kevin Reynolds' first edit was darker than they were expecting. The Mariner was more introspective, if you can believe that, and <laughs> less of a hero. Um, and during this post-production process. Um, they decided that they weren't going to screen Reynolds' cut for test audiences, which he was contractually obliged to get. And they started letting Kevin Costner edit his own version of the film. And at that point, Kevin Reynolds walked. Uh, Costner then spoke to Premier magazine on the eve of the release and said um, that the whole production made a huge mistake judging Kevin Reynolds' character. Um, He said they were not friends. He said they had been friendly, but they were never friends. And he said that I haven't told Kevin Reynolds this, but I didn't even like our previous collaboration, rapper Nui. Um, He told uh, the LA Times um, he shouldn't have walked away. He had a responsibility to help this movie. And so Reynolds fired back, said, what irritates me is Costner's suggestion that my walking off was irresponsible when he was the one who caused it. So... This was a huge falling out. Reynolds had nothing to do with the final edit that we ended up seeing and the one that was released. And as we previously discussed, him and Costner didn't talk again for 10 years until they collaborated once more on Hatfields and McCoys. I
3: I think you read the quote on the... um... Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves show, but it is, it's a good quote from (laughs) Kevin Reynolds. In the future, Costner should only appear in pictures he directs himself. That way he can always be working with his favourite actor and his favourite director.
4: I think they secretly love each other. That's what it sounds like, isn't it? It's just an epic love story.
3: Apparently on the set, because obviously Kevin Costner was going through a divorce while filming this, and Kevin Reynolds had been through a divorce, he said he... Like he sought solace in like Kevin Reynolds' advice, and I think they did get on. And it's a weird one because Costner, obviously, I think he didn't want to seem like uh, the egomaniac who had gone get out the edit. I'm taking it from here, more Mariner, less everything else. <laughs> but he says uh, he said in an interview with um, Entertainment Weekly in 1995 uh, when they were like, "So you're editing the movie yourself." He was like, I'm not doing this because I love this. I really wanted to be in the mountains fishing this summer and hunting. I did not want to be in the editing room when the sun is shining. That wasn't my job. It wasn't something I signed on for. I didn't want it. I don't know how to make that any clearer.
4: Get an editor.
5: (laughs) But I guess there's an aspect of seeing this as kind of an ego trip for Costner where he's cast himself as the saviour of mankind and then (laughs) took over in the edit bay. And then two years later, he does exactly the same thing with The Postman, which was an even worse film with that was even less successful, where he's again the saviour of mankind. And yeah, it just felt like he'd lost the plot a little bit, Costner, at this period of his career.
3: Yeah, I don't, but, um, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think I think whatever he might have lost then, he's got back now. I think he looks back at this period in the kind of way that you should because I think he's been asked repeatedly about you know Waterworld being a mega flop and like the fact that it isn't and it wasn't and I think it made about 70 million all totaled in the end after home video. And he was asked in 2014, do you ever want to speak up or when people start talking about it being a box office bomb, and he said, "I've probably said it ad nauseum, but people don't give a shit, so it doesn't really matter. It's just what it is. It stands up as a really exotic, cool movie. I mean, it was flawed for sure, but overall, it's very inventive and cool. It's pretty robust." And should
5: we leave it on that? I think that's a good place to end the water discussion.
3: All right, Christopher. Sure.
5: So, uh, what was your favourite scene, Vicky?
4: I like it when the jet skis jump out of the water, even though it's dangerous and someone probably nearly died, but it looks amazing.
5: You should go to Universal yes, Studios I should. then.
4: <laughs> <I should>. Someone <laughs> take me. We got
5: to, we got to, they've sent tickets.
4: Oh, but just yeah. us
5: Alex, Alex is organising it. Alex mm-hmm. is organising it. Alex,
3: favourite scene. Uh, all right, so um, I got two. Um, And screw you. I love the sea eater scene, the bit with the big giant creature, because I love it when a movie throws in something which is quite a big moment and could almost be a much bigger plot point in a different movie and just introduces it and gets rid of it in a heartbeat, like throws it away. You know, it made me think of the bit in Blade Runner 2049 when Ryan Gosling's flying, and then they use a kite. These like rebels use a kite to electrify his car and bring it down. And it's such an like uh, the inju- uh, ingenuity in, in the way they've done that. And then it's just gone. It's like it's like this that whole scene is like all right, moving on. Got other things to do. So I love that, um, and I like I like the mm-hmm. sea to. Basically, I like sharks, and it's the bit closest thing to a fucking shark in this movie. So I'm a bit upset that there aren't more sea monsters. Uh, but the best scene, ultimately, is uh, the pale man in the belly of the Exxon Valdez when the oh
4: yeah, with his glasses. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good moment. He's
3: clearly been down there measuring the oil levels for years and years. He's pale. He's got these huge eyes. He's like a like down there like a Morlock, and then the mariner drops the flare down and yeah. the oil catches fire. And the last thing you see him, is like he gets the best payoff in the movie. Yeah. He's where he goes,
4: oh, thank God. Yeah, he's relieved. Yeah. It's brilliant.
3: Uh, I am going for that sequence
5: where we see the earth, potentially Denver, potentially not underwater. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's really visually impressive and quite chilling. Um, like Planet of the Apes ending, but yeah, they didn't quite nail it. But I just think that looks great. Um as a visual Uh, MVW most valuable whatever Alex coming to you for this one
3: Uh, I've got two again screw you Uh, (laughs) Dennis Hopper is uh, number one Um, I I do think he brings something to the movie if not threats then a hell of a lot of fun and I'm quoting here he's like a turd that won't flush (laughs) he's a wily one that ichthy demon brilliant (laughs) (laughs) if I ever see him again I'm going to cut open his head and eat his brain Eh, it's all right Let's have an intelligent conversation here. I'll talk and you listen. Good. Solid. (laughs) Uh, And my favourite, look, it's the Gentleman Guppy. (laughs) (laughs) So Dennis Hopper is one, but genuinely my favourite thing is Kevin Costner's trimaran. Uh, I love the boats. I like the fact it's like the TARDIS uh, on the outside. Tiny, uh, not that big. Inside, there's a drawing room. He's got his crayons out. <laughs> uh, I think it looks cool at the start where it does all the stuff and the sails come up. I, uh, it upsets me at the end that the boat he builds on dry land to set back out to sea is shit compared to his trimaran. But this led me on to like something that I I really wanted to see more of. I really wanted, because he's this loner, I wanted him to have more of a relationship with his boat, like that kind of man and machine relationship, like a, like a cowboy and his horse, like a man and horse, but he's like that with his boat. I wanted scenes where he was like patting her hull and going, we'll get through this. You're going to hold together for me, aren't you, baby? Or like be- better things like that. Because I think if we'd had that, the the movie misses a brilliant emotional beat, which is that when the boat is destroyed by the smokers, like he's heartbroken at this non-living thing <clears throat> just being destroyed and like you I'd, I think I'd have cried if he'd hold, held up a bit of broken hull and looked wistfully at it if we'd had that relationship between him and the boat so I really wish it had <gasps> been that and
4: then he could have turned that bit into a bit of jewelry and then just carried it around with him forever
3: or yeah. married Jean Triplehorn <laughs> and then sold her into sex slavery
4: yeah. but to who because there's no one left but yeah. Maybe you could just put her on the top of Mount Everest naked like as an attraction to other passing mariners or humans. I like. hope
3: I hope you're listening, uh, <laughs> Universal Studios Hollywood. We're an ideas idea. factory here.
4: That's what you get now. You're I will sponsor. swap the idea for tickets. I'm just going to say it now.
3: Waterworld's done its time. How about a naked woman on a mountain? <laughs> it's, the, it's the prologue to Waterlo- Waterworld 2. <laughs> it fucking
5: um, would be.
4: would <laughs> be.
5: Vicky, uh, MVW.
4: Uh, Kim Coates as the paedophile.
5: (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, it's a
4: shot in the arm at that point. He's nuts. The way he moves like, um, like a paedophile bird sort of thing. (laughs) Uh, I love his hair. I love his eyes. I love his tan. (laughs) I love his accent. Um, I don't like the fact that he As a
3: paedophile.
4: <laughs> but uh he's just on another level and he he puts a bit of life into it at a much needed point.
5: Okay, I am going for Tina Majorino as Enola. And I don't know why, I just there's something about her performance really I think good. is really yeah. is really adorable. Um <laughs> and it kind of blew my mind to realize that she was in napoleon dynamite and she's gone off to gone on to have this really great uh film and tv career because i hadn't really clocked her again but yeah i think i think she's kind of the beating heart of this film and i wish that i bought into the the friendship between her and the mariner a bit more because i would have been more invested (laughs) in that finale if i had been um but I wasn't, so I wasn't. But you <laughs> right, uh, Vicky, what would you change, um, if
4: any? Uh, sure, you should edit it down from three hours, but do that, but make it make sense and make Kevin Kastner less of a twat. Mm. That's it, succinct.
5: I, 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 honestly, I mean, I didn't watch the Ulysses version, but it's because I read up on it, and I don't know if it actually makes the film make more sense. I, but from what people have reviewed, it say it's just a lot more character stuff. Okay.
3: Um.
4: So shoot some footage that yeah. makes it make sense. Mm. Put that in mm. the final edit. Oh. There's a good deleted scene on
3: YouTube of um, the deacon when he comes aboard the um, eight-hole and uh, he starts uh, preaching to everyone, which is about evolution and, you know, he's anti the idea of there being a mutant, so he's got a double reason to dislike the mariner. Yeah, it's quite Mm, good. It's good. on on YouTube. Uh, Alex, what would you change, if anything? Uh, Probably lose the sex trafficking scene. (laughs) Just, I'd sort of, like, everyone I was watching it with sort of went, Mmm bit weird isn't it <laughs> so yeah that um and i'd put back in fucking hell we're on mount everest <laughs> those two moments also i'd like a bit more jack black yes
4: good point yeah.
3: um for me i'd like it if the
5: end rather than discovering that mountain top they found a food court filled with people eating McDonald's and
3: Pizza and KFC.
4: <laughs> <laughs> What's flooded?
3: The the we've been here. What are you wearing? <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, we're going to uh we're gonna go see Waterworld
4: <laughs> <laughs> What
3: this is so fucking meta <laughs> <laughs>
5: We're going to Universal Studios next
3: <laughs> Uh yeah that would be great if If at the end, if the twist was they were in a giant Universal Studios Hollywood ride of Waterworld,
4: (laughs) that would be great.
3: (laughs) All right, uh, that closes uh, this episode on uh, Waterworld. Um, In the big scheme of things, I I didn't really get a gauge totally of whether people liked it or didn't like it or were just sort of like, yeah, it it was all right. Victoria? It was all right. Chris? It was all right. All right. I really liked it. So that's where I stand on Waterworld. Okay, um, your choices, V. Yeah. Uh, You got a a wet quiz.
4: Jesus. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I have got a quiz, actually. Are you ready? It's called Fish Out of Water, but not really. I just wanted to say that. Um, So Kevin Costner is called Ulysses. Ulysses is on a quest. Aquaman is a man who lives in water. So how did these other amphibian heroes get their name? Cool. Amphibians being able to breathe in water and on land. I'm going to name you some amphibians yeah. and I'm going to give you three choices, and one of them is true as to why they are named that. Okay. Are you ready? Cool. So, is a Betic midwife toad called that because A, they secrete a natural source of pain relief, which is very popular during childbirth. B, the males carry the fertilized eggs wrapped around their legs. Three, they work as midwives in toad neonatal units. Is it A, B, or C? Just shout out. B. Chris?
3: Uh, a.
4: It's B. The yes! males carry the yeah, eggs. It's yeah, it's obviously. Right, right. I
3: got my eggy legs.
4: <laughs> a Malagasy rainbow frog. Does it A, work for the NHS, B, run a gay bar, C, is rainbow coloured? <laughs>
3: <laughs> B. That's C. It's B. It is B. Regardless of what you have in front of you, it's B. I think it's all of them. It's
5: A, B and yeah, C. It's,
4: it's <laughs> Yeah, it's rainbow coloured, but I wish it was B. Um, ghost frogs. Are they called ghost frogs? Because they <laughs> originate from Skeleton Gorge. Their croak sounds like boo. They are literal ghosts. see <laughs> obviously,
3: they're ghosts.
4: <laughs> Chris, I'll <get> B. <laughs> it's number one. They originate from Skeleton <laughs> Gorge. Ah, okay, Ooh. ready. The fire salamander. They're hot to touch, or their diet is mainly ashes. So they live in fires. <laughs> they live in fires. <laughs>
5: Definitely live in fires, They see. live in
4: fires, that's a point to you both. Wait, uh, um, is that true? Uh, that's why they get their name. They're not actually living in fires, but people thought they did, so that's why they're called fires. Right, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, the we smooth newt. A, they've got foolproof chat-up lines. <laughs> B, they're the world's most frictionless animal reaching speeds of 20 miles an hour when rolled down a sheet of cling film. <laughs>
3: Sorry. They reach <laughs> speeds of 20 miles an hour if they're rolled down a sheet of cling film. Or a window. <laughs> or a window. <laughs>
4: They're just smooth to the touch. Like, <laughs> is it A, B or C? <laughs> I'm
3: going to say, I mean, I'm going to say a, it was A, the chat lines. Yeah. yeah,
4: A. I've actually got no idea. I did about 10 minutes of research. No one knows. <laughs> Last question. Which one of these is made up? A demonic poison frog, a hellbender or a bleeding toad? A
5: hellbender. Chris? <laughs> yeah, it gotta be got to be the bender. It's
4: a trick question. They're all real. <laughs> <laughs>
3: She done what on us,
5: Chris. <laughs>
4: there you go, that's your quiz. You love that. I did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know how boring it is when I make myself laugh, and I do try to not just do that, but it, I can't help it. Oh,
3: um, uh, I just realised that uh, I, I, in, in that quiz, i really sort of got the juices going. I forgot that uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Costner's uh, gills uh, had to be uh, changed uh, in the underwater sequence, because originally uh, they, it was printed in columns uh, in tabloid newspapers in America that they look like vaginas they look
4: exactly like vaginas to mm. be fair that's what I thought yeah. they still do though so did they get changed or yeah. not because... no they,
3: they're not meant to look as much I mean <laughs> if you'd seen them before you'd have been like what's this plot <laughs> twist like
4: you can give birth to amazing yeah
3: Cronenberg okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah get those eggs wrapped around your legs Kevin and come over here <laughs> uh, great stuff that is now officially the end of Waterworld Um Uh, We are obviously doing Aquaman on Thursday. uh, But just before I go, uh, here's my clue for next week's, uh, an early clue, for next week's movies on Clash of the Titles. The clue is eats. No, it's not. It's east. (laughs) (laughs) Got the S and the T in the wrong place. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. East meets west meets the 80s. (laughs) And she clue for next week. East meets West meets the 80s. Okay. Great stuff. Uh, that's the end of the episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you do want to get in touch, we are on Twitter at ClashPod. Please do take the time to rate our reviewers and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's massively appreciated. Back on Thursday with Aquaman. Bye-bye.